0: Warning, binge mode contains adult content. Later on in this episode, I'm going to read a passage from Ready Player One that involves James Halliday describing his theory of masturbation. So if that's not your bag, please check out the Ringer
1: MLB show. One more warning, binge mode contains spoilers. If you oh, yeah. cannot at this very moment in time tell us which song Parsival blasts from his boombox or why Parseval is holding a boombox in the first place or who Parseval is or what a boombox is, and then please yes. proceed with extreme caution. And now, binge mode.
0: There's nowhere left to go.
1: Nowhere. Except the Oasis. A whole virtual universe. People come to the Oasis for all the things they can do. But they stay because of all the things they can be. Hello! Yeah! And welcome to Binge Mode. I'm Allie Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Oh, what a good website. <laughs> Joining me today, now that he's finished Popping in to room 237.
0: Do not go in there. Just There's to have a, a look. Old dead lady in there.
1: <laughs> it's a ringer staff writer, your maester, your favorite Oasis Avatar. I love it in there. Your favorite gunter. Jason Concepcion.
0: I wouldn't be gunting. You I would really gunting? wouldn't. I would not have time for that show.
1: You would ink up with IOI immediately. I just, yeah, it was like 25 <laughs> million off
0: the jump. <laughs> I'll take it. Mal, I just need to grab my toiletries from the bathroom. Then I can get back to reminding everyone that every Thursday on Binge Mode Weekly, we'll be diving deep deep into the topic that's obsessing us at the moment. And later this spring, we'll be diving into Binge Mode Harry Potter. Yes. You'll be able to find both weekly and the eventual Harry Potter pod on the same feed. So stay subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Guys, if you like the show, yes. please rate and review us. Five
0: stars only. We also want to remind you we'll be at Maze Con of Thrones in Dallas, Texas. More details to come, but we'd love to see you there. In the meantime, please follow us on Twitter at binge underscore mode, aka the underscore, and join our new Facebook group, which is just for Binge Mode fans. Feel free to post your reviews of the Distracted Globes musical offerings. Why is that a PVP zone? It shouldn't be. <laughs> More on that later. <laughs>
1: This week on Binge Mode, we are plugging in to talk about Ready Player One. Again, requisite spoiler warning for today's binge. As always, we will be going deep on details from both Steven Spielberg's film and Ernest Cline's novel. So pull on your haptic gloves, pull down your visor, climb into your rig, because it's time to head, finally, to Columbus. Jason, yeah, there's nowhere left to go. Nowhere except the Oasis and Binge Mode. So to help everyone get there, let's offer up a brief refresher on what actually happened in the film version yes. of Ready Player One. We're going to talk about some film book differences, as we do, throughout the course of our discussion. But here, film version plot reminders by hopping into our DeLorean yes. and taking a quick trip down our very own King's Road.
0: The year is 2045. And everything is bad. Mm. Massive unemployment, environmental collapse, widespread crime, overbearing 80s nostalgia. Wait, that's the book. (sighs) Good thing there's the Oasis, a massively multiplayer online universe where much of the population of Earth spends most of its time. That includes Wade Watts, a.k.a. Parzival.
1: Parzival is a gunter, a portmanteau of... Egg and Hunter. You can see the kind of Shakespearean wordplay that you're that you're in for here, <laughs> guys. An Oasis player dedicated to discovering the Easter egg hidden by the game's late creator, James Halliday. There are three keys, which you can win by beating three tasks. Whoever accomplishes this, clearing the three challenges, wins Halliday's estate, including. Controlling stake in the Oasis, valued at a whole lot of money, $240 in the book, half a trillion
0: in the movie. Ah, Parzival has competition, though. Primarily Artemis, Mm -hmm. an elite high-level player who Parzival crushes on, and innovative online industries, a tech conglomerate that sells real and virtual goods and services. IOI and their CEO, Nolan Sorrento, a former intern of Halliday's, (sighs) wants to open up the Oasis to massive economic exploitation. Shouts to Ben Mendelssohn
1: today and always. What a great guy. The granular study of Halliday, his life, his love, singular, his likes, his dislikes, it's Wade's obsession, all the Gunter's obsession, but really Wade is like a next level obsessive. Percival frequents the Oasis archives in the film called Halliday's Journals, where every moment of Halliday's life is stored in full interactive 3D. You want to watch this guy clean up confetti? You can watch it.
0: You can. You can change the angle. You can watch <laughs> it from ground level. You can watch it from 30,000
1: feet. Rewind it. Watch it in the slow-mo. Whatever you want to do. On one of these trips, Wade discovers crucial clue. Why don't we go backward for once that allows him to win the first challenge, a like Hot Wheels-esque race. Yeah. Very different Very from in the book. Quite different. And obtain the first key, the Oasis scoreboard. vacant for five years since Halliday's death, has a new tenant. Parzival!
0: Sorrento is, of course, displeased. IOI's army of fully geared anonymous gamers have been scouring the Oasis to no avail. Sorrento offers Parzival a textbook plateau-o-plomo deal, silver or lead. Come work for IOI or, like, get blown up. Literally. Yeah. You see, Sorrento, with the help of a nefarious high-level gamer named I.Rock knows Parzival's real name and where he lives. Parzival refuses the deal, and Sorrento triggers a bomb, destroying the stack of trailers that is Parzival's home, killing untold numbers of people, including Parzival's aunt, who sucked anyway. He's not really very broken up He's, about this. Like, it thinks about it for 0. 0.5 seconds, and is like, oh, man, my stuff was in there.
1: Only <laughs> well, we saw not much of it, though. Yeah, Keeps it at his hideaway. He's got his little hideaway. Parzival teams up with his friend, H, an elite gamer, And his crush, Artemis, and also totally unfleshed out characters, Daito and Sho, to beat IOI and win the contest. They call themselves the High Five because the hand was already taken. (laughs) Because they're the five high scorers on the board, guys! Incredible It's all right there for (laughs) you! They survive a... Amended recreation of The Shining to gain the second key. IOI strikes back, manages to kidnap Artie, who is forced into virtual labor for the company. Meanwhile, IOI's thugs are still searching the real world for the rest of the high five.
0: Parzival discovers that the last task is on planet Doom in Castle Anorak. Anorak was Halliday's online avatar. IOI has placed a force field around the castle. Its army of gamers is taking turns playing various Atari 2600 games, including Adventure, in which the final key is secreted. Parzival rallies the population of the Oasis. They attack IOI's avatars. At the moment of victory, Sorrento sets off a bomb that kills all the avatars on the planet. But because of a bet, Parzival won with the curator of Halliday's journals, later revealed to be Halliday's ex-business partner Ogden Morrow, Parzival gains an extra life and access to the castle. He plays adventure, beats the quest, and finds the key.
1: In the real world, Sorrento is arrested for murder. Can't go murdering people. You shouldn't Guys, Parzival shares control of the Oasis with the high five. Mistake. (laughs) Oh, wow. Can't wait to dive into that more. Artemis has escaped, and he and Artemis, they find love. That's right. They find love. They become... BF and GF.
0: And then all of a sudden he's like, I'm going to turn the Oasis off on Tuesdays and Thursdays. going
1: to just give the world a break on Tuesdays and Thursdays so that we can cuddle in this nice chair in my fancy new loft and make out a lot. And that's how the movie ends.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Mal. Yeah. People come to the Oasis for all the things they can do, but they stay because of all the things they can be. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. Actually, I just want to say briefly that I disagree with that. Formula in real life gaming. That said, let's cut right to the core of it by sticking it with the pointy end of Colwyn's Glaive. The defining theme of Ready Player One is what happens when virtual reality is more satisfying than actual reality? Great question. It is a question that I am truly fascinated by and I think about really often. Me too. As a person who, at different times in my life, have played video games like full time job level amount of time. I think I looked it up once. I played just short of 10,000 hours of Halo 2 over two or three years, which and is crazy.
1: I have spent just short of 10,000 hours petting my cat, Halo. <laughs> so look at that. We're living similar lives. Let's pan back for a yes. minute here and set the scene. Yeah. What's Earth like? Pretty bad. In 2045. It's decaying. Civilization is a dim reflection of its past self. Fuel. Gone. Gone energy is scarce. Much of the country is suffering from rolling blackouts. Food is rationed. People are on food vouchers. That's part of why Wade's aunt sucks by the way in the right. book. You know, we learn she's just taking his food vouchers. Right. Crime endemic. The coasts are swamped by rising seas. Columbus, Ohio fastest. is the fastest growing metropolis on earth and Wade Watts lives in the stacks, a slum of high-rise trailers built one on top of another in the movie, he's in Columbus. In the book, he's in Oklahoma City, and he's there with his aunt, her boyfriend. In the book, a dozen some other people crammed right. into this home. His parents are dead. His life is terrible, as life must be for millions of other people. This is not a happy time yeah. on planet Earth, but there is an escape. The Oasis. That's right. What makes the Oasis appealing?
0: Most obvious reason is your appearance, your actual body, do not matter, right? In the Oasis, you can be whatever you wish to be, and your only limitations are your imagination in the Oasis avatar generator. What would you be? I'm
1: not sure. I should have been prepared to answer this because mm. I knew this would come up. This was a question in the Ringer exit survey, yeah. which you guys should check out. A lot of good writing on TheRinger.com about, about this movie and just everything, yeah. really. A lot of good writing on the TheRinger.com, yeah. full stop. You go first. I'll buy oh my time god, here. What would you be? Well— I'd have to know. Would you what- be Shohei Otani? I would be Shohei.
0: I'd be a true hero. <laughs> Your son, Shohei Otani, a true omnipotent hero <laughs> with the power to crush home runs off the greatest pitching. <laughs> I I would have to know like what the classes available are. Like, is it a class based game? Like, are there certain archetypes? Are there healers and then damage mm-hmm. dealers and then tanks and mm-hmm. then ones that do this and magical? Pl- In the book, we get a very general sense that. There are certain character avatars that are magical and certain are technological, but we don't know if within that power set there are then classes of magicians. Say, like, if you're a magical character, are you a magical character that heals? Are you a magical character that, like, can tell the future or that deals damage? Or what kind of magical character are you? So we don't know those things, but I think I'd be some kind of wizard.
1: Yeah, I would be a Hogwarts student.
0: (laughs) I'd be, like, some kind of, like, very, like—I'd be a lot, like, anorak, but, like, bionic or something. i put a twist on it.
1: Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Though in the book, some of the sectors and the worlds are, like, there are magical realms and then there are tech realms. Right. They, they, they don't, they, don't always buddy, mix. they
0: abut each other. So if your character—so in the book, if your character is, say, magic-based and you're traveling from sector to sector— if you pass through a technological sector, you would then essentially be extremely vulnerable because you wouldn't have any ability to operate in that area. I think that's bad design. But then we could go <laughs> on, we could <can> go
1: <laughs> on and on about this. We get like a lot of this summed up for us succinctly in the book. And very little is summed up succinctly in the book. But there's a line here. You know, Wade is telling us how he crafted Partsville and why. He says, My avatar had a slightly smaller nose than me, and he was taller and thinner and more muscular, and he didn't have any teenage acne. So this makes perfect sense. This just tracks with the human condition. If you got the chance... To make kind of an idealized version of yourself, right. of course you would improve everything about ten thousand who you are. Like even his name. Parseval, and we should note at school yeah. on Ludos, he's not using that avatar name. Everyone goes Wade by their three. name with a number. Wade three. Big Dwayne Wade fan. <laughs> even his name Parsifal is a declaration of his intent to be great of how the oasis gives him a chance to be something truly spectacular he says again in the book on the day the hunt began the day I decided to become a gunter I'd renamed my avatar Parsifal after the knight of Arthurian legend who had found the holy grail you can't really just do things like that in real life at least not with the push of a button and at least not in a way that fully encapsulates the rest of your existence. Well, I'll tell you what my
0: gamer name is it's Network. There you it literally, go. like, that's how I started my whole thing is that's my Xbox Live gamer tag. Get at me. Network on Xbox Live. <laughs> XX underscore underscore network underscore underscore XX on PlayStation Network.
1: <laughs> I think one of the questions here that kind of gets to the core of how you would choose to exist yeah. in a virtual reality like this is would I want to be some version of myself? probably an idealized version of right. myself, or would I want to be someone completely different, whether that's a someone of my own creation, right. or would I want to be like a character I love from a story I love? We're going to talk about this later when we talk a lot more about like the references that we really enjoyed in the film, but if you want to be flying in an X-Wing, you can do that. Right. You know, you can turn yourself into a Star Wars character if you want. When the, the hordes who has summoned are surging or cresting over the hill on planet Doom, we see your boys from Halo. Like, people have yeah. chosen those as their avatars. So, would I want someone else? I honestly don't know. And I think that's kind of what's interesting about the story. And one of the things that, you know, we should actually just say, we both like the movie. We did like the movie. The movie's getting panned by a lot of people. Other people like it. It's a very divisive film, I would say. There's the Greenwaldian school of thought, which is, this is evil. (laughs) Yeah. And then there's the other school of thought, which is, this is fun. And sure, some people are in the middle, but it is a pretty, like, you either like this and think its inherent value is that it is not only fun, but that it does actually have some Mm -hmm. ideas worth exploring, or you think it's just empty, vacant, waste of space and energy and a tragedy that someone like Steven Spielberg is spending his time creating it. I think that the ideas are worth exploring. Oh, yeah. I don't think the movie or the book always succeeds in exploring them. But I think the ideas are there. And one of them is exactly what we're talking about right now. Who would you be if you could choose to be anyone? You know, we talked about this a lot when we were discussing San Junipero. Like, if you could just turn your pain threshold down, would you? Is that what life is? Like, if you can change anything about your outfit or your hair or your appearance, should you? Right. I love stories that make me ask those questions. I don't have enough self awareness or certainty about my own stake in life right now to provide the answers. But I know that I want to be thinking about those things.
0: Back to that Parsable quote: "People come to the Oasis for all the things they can do, but they stay for the things they can be." I don't know if I one hundred percent agree with that, and I'll tell you why. For me, the real appeal of a game like The Oasis or a world like The Oasis isn't. That you can change your appearance. Great. There's a million games you can change your appearance right now, guys. Every single game that you play, pick your head, you pick your hair color, you pick the clothes you wear, every single one. What's going to keep you in the game is, what can I do? What, what is the feeling that this game gives me, right? And that is what's going to keep you in the game. Success, however you choose to define that, is something in real life that takes years, barring like massive inheritance, Something that takes years to accomplish. People get up every day, go to school, go to work, come home with at best, at best, on a daily basis, a very vague and likely totally intangible feeling of slight accomplishment that they got through the day or they got the lunch that they wanted or did something good in their job. Did their boss praise them? Likely not. Did the teacher praise them? Likely not. Did they go home with anything that they can touch and feel that lets them know that they did something today? No. In the Oasis, that is not so. In video games, many video games that you play, that people play for hours and hours and hours a day, in the Oasis, nearly every interaction with the world turns into something virtually tangible, right? Quests. If they're anything like the video game quests that we know, return XP, experience points. In other words, I walk across the room and I successfully do something, I can see my experience points number go up, and that helps me level up. Unlike life even though nothing really happened. A number changed from, say, 67 to 68. But that gives me a feeling that I accomplished something. So imagine if just walking around after doing whatever in life, successfully ordering a healthy lunch, reading an article, having a conversation with a colleague, whatever, you were able to look at your stats and see a change. Like in real life, that would feel good. And that is why people game because it gives you that feeling of, hey, I, I accomplished something that
1: in real life, it would take a long time to accomplish. I accomplish something. So, okay, a couple things yes. that that made me think of. One, those kinds of actual, like, small, minute-to-minute, yeah. just course-of-the-day actions. And you're saying, well, what if you could get, like, that feedback in yeah. real life? Then we're in Nosedive. We're in the Black Mirror episode right. Nosedive. And that's scary, too. It's like, Absolutely. Because then people become obsessed with getting that positive reinforcement and the absence of it, or worse, not just the absence of it, the active presence of something negative in place of it can corrupt and destroy your entire existence. I think the other thing that's interesting is that, quote, they stay because of all the things they can be. I think it's interesting to interpret that differently. Like, I didn't take that to mean physically right? what they can be. I actually took that to mean sort of what you're describing, which is you can create an entirely different existence for yourself. You know, Wade doesn't have parents. In the movie, he's sleeping on top of the laundry machines. You know, in the book, he's kind of hiding in a nook Behind the laundry machines or next to it, wedged between the walls so that he can, you know, hopefully use his laptop without his aunt or her boyfriend seeing it and stealing it, which they ultimately do. The Oasis is the first place where Wade... Ever feels like he fits, ever feels like he actually has a chance to achieve something. And even then, he's just a student at school and he's a level three avatar when we first meet him in the book. He only gets to level 10 when he clears the first key. He's not this badass, but he feels in the Oasis for the first time, not only like he has friends and like he has connections to people. But, like, he has a chance to actually make something of himself. He doesn't feel that looking around the stacks or in his little hideaway. He says in the book, I was too weird even for the weirdos. This is in the real world as a kid. In here, meaning in the Oasis, I was safe. There is real value in that sense of security, especially if your actual surroundings day-to-day never provide that for you.
0: That gets to one of the criticisms I had of the book and of the movie the real world and how bad it is, it's not hammered down enough. It's not
1: fleshed out enough. The corn syrup wars, my dude. <laughs> it's just the corn bandwidth rose.
0: Oh, you weren't here for the <laughs> corn syrup wars, my boy. No Coca-Cola. No sweetness
1: at all. That does sound bad. Yeah, that does sound bad. To be honest.
0: But I want to know how bad it was because that gives me an idea of why people would want to escape into a virtual world all the time. Right. I need to know that. I need to know why it's better to be inside this place than making friends in the real world. Like, why is that the case? And that's a thing I wish that both the book and the film had done better. That's a great point
1: because we don't fully get to understand that. The story does a much better job of explaining why the Oasis is appealing right. as opposed to why the real world isn't. Right. And Bookwaite, he helps us kind of understand how and why the Oasis became like as immersive and all-consuming as it did. And we should say, because this is a really important context, it isn't just a game. Whole
0: economies and you go to it's, school it in it there, is your is job isn't it. Yeah, that's,
1: that's it. Really anything of... Value, politics, education, the economy, all of it, existence is happening inside the Oasis. And he says, I'd heard that if you access a simulation with new state-of-the-art immersion rig, it was almost impossible to tell the Oasis from reality. Mm. This leads to one of my critiques of the film, which is just, I don't really understand the choice for the visual palette, like for Mm. the aesthetic of the film. Because it's hard for me to believe that. The the people who are alive in this universe are able to say, this is my reality. Right. This is the reality I'm choosing when they look like cartoons. yeah. Like, you have to be able to basically trick yourself into thinking this is as real as the thing I'm choosing to leave behind. And it just doesn't feel that way in the movie. So that, that's sort of a strange choice to me, but be that as it may. And then later, you know, Book weight also says... Items in the Oasis had just as much value as things in the real world, sometimes more, later adds. The Oasis credit was the coin of the realm. So again, this isn't just like a supplement to life where you can say, I want to go like hang with my bros and shoot off a railgun.
0: Love a (laughs) railgun. Great weapon. (laughs) This
1: is where people are conducting all of their affairs. All of them. They're having virtual sex. They're exercising digitally inside of this. They're going to school. Elections are taking place. Business transactions. Where is Wade buying his boot suit? In the Oasis. And then he's picking it up in the real world. He's not going to a store. This is all happening in this realm. The
0: idea of anonymity is both a pro and a con. Parzival says anonymity was one of the major perks of the Oasis. Inside the simulation, no one knew who you really were unless you wanted them to. Book H can find acceptance in a way that she could never find in the real world, but the movie doesn't really grapple with this, and we'll flesh this out further in the cons. I would also say, a lot of things have changed in gaming since this book came out, and it changed in the way that we perceive the internet. The internet has changed so much. I find the idea that you would be totally anonymous in the Oasis and not like ever tell your friends on the street like oh what's your screen name
1: i find that hard to believe so that's if you wanted to be charitable you could say one of the best ways that the story does indicate how bleak things are in real life these people don't have friends there is nobody for wade to turn to and say let's go hang out he is utterly alone he's not even upset about his aunt dying he's upset about Mrs. Gilmore, the neighbor in his stack, who's one of the only people that in the course of his life, he can exchange a pleasant word with or actually has like genuine feelings of fondness toward. That's really rare.
0: Artemis says, the Oasis lets you be whoever you want to be. That's why everyone is addicted to it. And how would that not be addicting? If you could be the ideal version of yourself, would you not want to do that? Maybe that addiction is bad and certainly in many ways it is, like you're sitting in a chair. Well, I should say that when you're hooked up to your rig and you're in your hap suit and the whole thing, you are physically moving. It's not like Black Mirror where you put the nodes on your temples and then just out. There's some locomotion going. It's exhausting. All that treadmill running. Gotta say. Out, also like out on that. Much like the Wii when it first came out. You remember when people didn't put the straps on correctly and were like <laughs> oh, yeah. throwing their controllers like through their televisions? I feel like people would be getting punched in the face. Like, if you're walking around in the living room and somebody's, like,
1: in the Oasis doing whatever, you might get an elbow to the grill. Sorrento definitely would have knocked off his uh, post-it note with his password at some point. I love that it's in this <laughs> incredibly high-tech world. He's like, get me a post-it note. Man. Absurd. <laughs> Honestly, absurd. <laughs> that, I think, is just, like... Again, I, I liked the movie. I thought it was really fun. That's a bad choice. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I almost feel
0: like Spielberg's natural hopeful tone kind of does this story a slight disservice. It was very fun. I really enjoyed it again. But I think, like, there needed to be that contrast of some of the darker elements. So some of the fun stuff, like, real, the fun you can have in the Oasis is
1: more poignant in that way. You know, this is all these people have.
0: This All they have is
1: the Oasis. I liked the point that Chris, our dear colleague Chris Ryan, made on The Watch earlier in the week. He, in essence, said he thought it would have been a more interesting choice on the movie's part to lean in fully to that idea and say, this actually seems great. What if we just live there? Right. And to not actually have the characters in this kind of, like, ham-fisted, like, half-baked way grapple with the morality of leaving the real world behind. And I think you're right— The movie doesn't fully understand its own morality or maybe doesn't want to. I think the
0: book is much like that as well.
1: Yes. And I want to try to state this, like, clearly. I actually think that that's okay if that's the intention. Like, I think it's okay to say these are really complicated questions. And we have no idea. And we don't know what's right. And we can't anticipate how we would act or behave or what we would opt into or opt out of if this was our situation it's less acceptable if the story is supposed to be coming down on one side and it just feels kind of muddled and rushed. Right. That is a
0: fascinating topic, and it's something I thought about while watching this movie, is we're currently embroiled in various controversies arising from Facebook and the algorithms involved there. Connects people in all kinds of unexpected ways. Harvest data in ways that nobody ever imagined. Right. And— even the people who control it and built it don't really know what it does all the time. They don't know how it works. It's working in ways that they did not expect.
1: I encourage you guys to read Justin Charity's piece on The Ringer, where he compares James Halliday, creator of The Oasis, yes. to Mark Zuckerberg. It's absolutely an apt comparison. Yes. And a lot of it was about the, I'm a real boy now <laughs> yeah. kind of yeah. desperation. Yeah. But there's all of that too, about what is even the intent of your creation? And there are some differences between how the film and the book characterize Halliday's like regret or lack thereof. You mm. know, I found myself like leaving the film slightly confused about whether I was properly remembering that particular aspect of the book. And we discussed it, us and, and Isaac and Cram. And if only Cahill were here, we'd be the high five still, but we're not anymore. I wonder if Cahill will listen to this. So in the movie, when Parsifal is watching replays of Halliday's life, and there's this moment between Halliday and Morrow, these creative partners who eventually had this separation, this split. And it's a little like tough to track the conversation, but that's the scene in which we get the, you know, why can't we move backwards line. And were at least led to believe that Halliday has some sort of regret about what the Oasis became and the scope of it and the scale of it. And maybe this is the wrong interpretation. That was how I read the scene in the movie. And then I was confused by that read of it because in the book, we're led to believe that not only does Og leave the company for personal reasons, he leaves because he doesn't like the direction that the Oasis is heading in. So that's like flipped in a way that is – feels like really important to yeah. understand what the right. what it's the a, creator's motivation there or pretty, regret is. It's a
0: pretty large philosophical shift.
1: Yeah, well, and especially because of the role that regret plays in the story. You know, I think and that gets to your point as well yeah. about like the maybe cheerful versus like morose tone and feel of the story like it's actually in a lot of ways, a huge fucking bummer, you know? It's a
0: tragedy that people would have to live like this.
1: Yes, and even like, okay, you could look at the story and say, trillionaire, genius. This guy built something that fundamentally altered the way people lived. And then he found a way to kind of live on beyond, beyond himself through this hunt and through his creation. And isn't that the goal? Isn't that what we all want? And then, of course... You can look at it and say, this man was desperately alone and never found the courage to tell the woman he loved that he loved her, allowed other factors to come between him and his best friend and business partner, and was so consumed by his own despair and regret that he built, in essence, a prison of his own despair and a museum a testament to his own regret and to all these things that defined his life, but that he wished maybe he could have changed. That's really heavy. That's not happy. Yeah. And maybe it's a little bit more interesting to lean into that instead of just saying, let's have a 10 minute set piece here that's a car chase. But also, people like car chases and it's, this is a blockbuster. Honestly, that in and of itself is sad as well. The fact that
0: a whole generation of people, of young people, would dedicate their lives not to their own lives, but to the lives of this old dude with, like, oftentimes whack taste in culture and, like, study it like it's the Bible because that's all there is. There is no upwardly mobile economy. There's no way to become a middle-class person. There's only poverty in this world. A contest
1: like this is, like, as good a chance as anything. Right. And in the book... Wade, He gets to the point where he's got endorsement deals after right. getting the first key. He finally has money for the first time in his life. He moves to Columbus. He gets his fancy suit. He gets his rig. The whole suite set up. He's got a shower that removes the hair from his body. So sure. He can slide into the suit. This reminds me of a business idea that my <laughs> college roommates and I had for something <laughs> called the vat, where you just dipped in and out, and then everything was gone when you needed to be. The vat? Yeah, the vat. Just one woman's vision of the future, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) So in this fancy new setup, it's not really fancy, it's like, the room is like a square and he has nothing in there but a setup. But But that's as good as it gets. That's it. And he has, Wade has this passphrase that activates his rig and his phrase is, no one in the world ever gets what they want and that is beautiful. So this is a they might be giants lyric, but it's also this very sad and somber reminder of the disappointment and the despair that await Wade and all of these other people every day. And the Oasis provides an outlet. It provides the chance for something else. It gives Wade hope and purpose. And that's where we come back to this line that we're returning to time and again here for our theme. You know, people come to the Oasis for all the things they can do. They stay for the things they can be. Is that such a bad thing? You know, again, this is the portion of our discussion where we're trying to view this through a positive lens. Like, Movie Wade says, it's the only place that feels like I mean anything. And, you know, we asked ourselves again, like, this question when we were talking about Sanjay Naparo and a lot of other tech in Black Mirror, what would we even want our digital selves to be and to do? Mm. You know, does the answer to that question change if our actual corporeal selves are here? Like, Sanjay Naparo, you're assuming, okay, well, I'm going to die. Do I want to continue to exist beyond that? This is a little different. It's I'm here. I'm sitting here in this chair with you. Do I want to forget about that and go be in a totally different reality? And now a brief break for a word from our sponsors.
0: Today's episode of Binge Mode is brought to you by the Google Assistant.
1: With the Google Assistant, you can complete over a million actions on your phone, in your car, yes, and around the house. Living in LA, we spend a lot of time driving around. One of the things that I
0: love about the Google Assistant is while I'm driving, I can just say, "Hey Google." Text Bill Simmons, I'll be there in 10 minutes. Download the Google Assistant today. Today's binge mode is also brought to you by Heinz. Since
1: 1901, Heinz has always been innovating.
0: Pushing that tech of underwear forward. It's no wonder they are America's number one brand of underwear, and they just
1: made it more comfortable. The Comfort Flex Fit underwear is the latest innovation in comfort from Haynes.
0: Comfort Flex Fit is cool,
1: comfortable, and supportive. It's so comfortable, you'll forget you're wearing it while you're plugged into the Oasis. What am I wearing? I don't know. How'd they do it? With a breathable pouch for support and a roomy fit. Not to mention, yeah. these boxer briefs are incredibly oh oh soft. Oh my god. And the legs don't ride up. They better not.
0: You'll want to replace all your underwear after you try them.
1: With nearly universal five-star reviews, just like Binge Mode, everyone is obsessed.
0: Man, these guys really know how to make underwear. And won't we'll break the bank.
1: You can get a pack of three... 15 bucks. That's less than half what you would pay for a single pair of crazy expensive designer underwear.
0: Let me tell you something. I wear Hanes underwear regularly. And I can say for a natural born fact that they are softer than touching air. I don't even know if I'm wearing stuff sometimes. They're so soft. Give them a try today at Hanes.com or wherever you buy Hanes. And now back to binge mode.
1: Let's talk about some of the less charitable
0: drawbacks. Views. Drawbacks of the Oasis. Well, number one, it's not actually real, guys. Oof. Yeah, I know it looks real. It Eesh. looks great in there. You can Doesn't drive it look a deli- real.
1: I feel compelled to continue well, to
0: return to that I, point. I will say this: I think that there are certainly different rendering styles within the Oasis that are jarring. That part of it is strange. I think that there should be a uniform level of realism because it's all over the place, guys. <sighs> That's it. So it's not actually real number 1. Things that happen to your actual body are the baseline for everyone's reality no matter what happens in the oasis, right? Your body has to eat, has to shit, has to do all that stuff and there are stakes in the oasis, yes, like losing your gear, getting zeroed out, losing all your gold. Life and death, those are real stakes, guys. That's the real shit. When you can actually be injured in a place, that's reality. That's the real world. So is the oasis you, the real you, in a sense, sure, right? It's the idealized version of you. It's an embodiment of a person that you feel you are, that you would like to be. But that's an ideal. That's a curated self. You're taking like the best traits of yourself, you're amping them up, and then you're placing it in a idealized body. That's not the real you. The real you, right, is all the bad shit. The annoying personality ticks, the less than ideal parts of you. In that sense, true connection, I think, And this is not to disrespect anyone who has found love online. I don't think it's truly possible in the Oasis. Could you fall in love with a person? Yes, of course. But what would the final step always have to be? You got to meet them in real life, right? Because true intimacy in the Oasis would be impossible because true intimacy is about letting a person see you warts and all, not this like
1: idealized, perfect version of yourself. Great question. I think there is a difference between asking if you could find love and a true connection in a digital world like that and if you could find it in this digital world where people are acting this way, where the normal choice, where the routine is to say, I'm going to be something other than myself. Like, that's different because then how do you know? How do you know who the other person really is? Like, you're going to enter into every interaction and every relationship like through the veil of, doubt. And there's also the issue of money. That's worth a quick discussion, too, because, you know, crucially, money matters in the Oasis, just like in the real world. Sure, on the one hand, you can make yourself anyone. You can make yourself anything. But you can't just make yourself instantly rich. You can change certain aspects of your circumstances, but you still have to ultimately obey this, like, upward mobility System. You have to earn it. And Book Parseval, he's got to beg for rides. He can't even get to other planets. He's got to hitch a ride with H or with Iraq, who he can't stand because he's poor. Even in the Oasis at the beginning of the story, he is poor. You know, this world, it's his escape, but it is not his cure all. And that is worth keeping in mind as we assess whether this kind of escapism, whether this virtual reality over actual reality is purely good or purely bad you are forced to contend with some of the challenges that would be familiar to you from everyday life. And another con is what happens if you lose track of the real world? What happens if you stop thinking about not only your own circumstances, but other people's? So there's this moment where Artie, dear old Artie, tells Parzival in the book, you don't live in the real world, See, From what you've told me, I don't think you ever have. You're like me, you live inside this illusion. There's this very similar moment in the movie as well when at the distracted globe, they're having their argument and she sort of, that's like her mic drop as she right. leaves him there. You don't live in the real world. And she does not mean that as a compliment. Just because she's relating to it doesn't mean that she thinks it's an acceptable thing. You know, she is telling Parzival, accusing him of basically losing sight of real life stakes, real world consequences. You know, his aunt might suck, but we watch him get over her death in like an instant. And it's hard not to think this kid doesn't actually like understand life and death in the way that a person who isn't living in the oasis maybe would. And when they talk about what they would do with their winnings you know, initially Wade, again, this is in the book, he's like, I would just, I would get this sick spaceship and I'd get all my friends on there and I'd get a mansion and we'd just, we'd go out and we'd, we'd find a new place to like live and be. And he wants to spend, it's like, you know, he's an athlete who's uh, thinking about his first contract and what kind of car he's going to buy. And what does Artemis want to do? She wants to like, Feed people. Right. She's got followers who are looking to actually make the world better. Right. And this is one of the critiques in the movie that's taken hold is like, we don't really understand what the stakes are. Right. And I think that is an area where the book does a better job of sort of making you think about what the Oasis represents and what IOI represents as a threat. It's not just Nolan Sorrento boasting about how much advertising right. they can splash across your visor without inducing a seizure. It's the impact that that would have on every single person on the planet, what impact that would have on the economy, what impact that would have on business, on infrastructure, on education. And, you know, when Wade is in this new world in the book where he has all of this stuff for the first time and he has this moment of clarity where he says, I'd come to see my rig for what it was, an elaborate contraption for deceiving my senses to allow me to live in a world that didn't exist. You know, he's finding these things that he never had before, money. Endorsement deals. The proximity to that sweet Columbus Wi-Fi. But he also is starting to realize that his visor isn't just this portal. It's a, it's a mask that is yeah. shielding him to the horrors around him. And it is important for the story to succeed for the characters and thus the reader or viewer to be thinking about those things. Let's talk about anonymity as a
0: con. The story does not grapple with Gamergate or Russian Boss. This is some of the stuff that really has come up in the intervening years that's really changed yes. my, the way I view this story. Internet trolls or many of the other horrors of, of living online anonymously can allow people to pursue. The book is also has some serious transphobic tendencies yes. that make the story troubling. And I will say probably the best decision Klein and his editors made was to make this a first-person story. Because the way that you can try to justify, from client's point of view, to try to justify some of the, the material in here is to say, well, Wade is a kid. No connection to other people. Doesn't really have empathy in the way that we understand it because his all his connections are with people that he meets online who don't have real bodies who can't actually die. Right. Okay, so we talked about the pros and cons. Where do we think the movie landed? And where do we land
1: on this? So, again... It's not purely good or purely bad, but there is this kind of attempt to put a bow on everything at the end of the film and similarly in the book. We get this line from Halliday to Parsifal where he says, I created the Oasis because I never felt at home in the real world. I didn't know how to connect with the people there. I was afraid for all my life right up until I knew it was ending. That was when I realized as terrifying and painful as reality can be, it's also the only place where you find true happiness because reality is real. Don't make the same mistake I did. Don't hide in here forever. Very similar exchange in the film. And it's been interesting to see how that has played because it seems like a lot of people... Heard that and were genuinely confounded by it and left the movie thinking, wait a minute, this was like a two and a half hour love letter to video game culture and virtual reality. And the takeaway seemingly, some people thought out of nowhere was this is bad. I must say that
0: I am similarly confounded, especially with the tone of the movie. It does feel like you just came out and over like we just saw. Stuff that is super fun. We saw Mechagodzilla Godzilla fight the Iron Giant. We saw various video game characters from past and present running around and having a great time. A DeLorean going backwards at high speed through a virtual map. All that stuff look, looked really fun. And then at the end, to be like, guys, we have to log off for a little while. Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays and dude. Thursdays. It does feel abrupt. And I think it speaks to. I, a failure is strong, but kind of like an inability to grapple with some of the very interesting and also dark possibilities opened up by a technology like this. One of the things I was thinking about watching this is like, so basically we have this vast virtual universe, really, because multiple planets in here. Right. All of which was created by this one guy, and everything in there is a reflection of his tastes and what he liked. And culture as it exists in this world is driven heavily by those tastes, people exploring what he did with his life, the music he liked, the video games he played, why he liked this and that movie and the things he would quote and say. It's a dream of anyone who's ever created
1: anything to have their world explored in that way. Do you think that's true for the oasis as a whole or just for the Hunt? Like, it's certainly true for the hunt in and the for book, everything they're exploring for the hunt. In the
0: book, it is described thusly. It is described like that. Yes, they do say that Gunters are a small subset of gamers at large. But he but he also says, and this is like maybe conflicting stuff that Ernest Klein didn't think that deeply about. But he also says uh, pretty early on in the book that Halliday created this hype for the culture of his youth. Mm-hmm. The things that he liked because— That was how you could win this contest. Exploring how culture is transferred through technology is a fascinating idea. Here's a great example from the video game world. The first controller for the Xbox, the original Xbox, was apparently, this might be apocryphal, but was engineered and created by a guy with gigantic hands, (laughs) huge hands. So when the controller came out, it was this beast of a thing. It's like a textbook. It's huge. And now think about that. Here's this thing that you've got to hold in your hand for hours, and it wasn't made to fit the hands of most people. That's kind
1: of like what the Oasis is. Here's my defense of the movie. And here was my dominant reaction when I left the theater. And I was prepared to be really disappointed because there's been a lot of criticism. The book, which I enjoyed, is deeply flawed, as we've discussed. And the trailers for the movie looked pretty bad. (laughs) We discussed this last week on Binge mode. A couple people, you know, were like, Oh, actually this is like this is pretty fun. I was yeah. like, Oh, hope. But I went in expecting to be disappointed, not expecting to be pleasantly surprised. And I left pleasantly surprised because despite the movie's flaws, and there are many of them, yeah. it is ultimately, and this is true of the book too, it's a story about loving stories. Yeah. It is a story about Forging connections with other people who share your passions. You know, in the book, there are a couple lines to that effect. Halliday seemed to expect everyone around him to share his obsessions, and he often lashed out at those who didn't. Later, we hear from Og. Jim always wanted everyone to share his obsessions, to love the same things he loved. I think this contest is his way of giving the entire world an incentive to do just that. Then we hear Artie say to Percival, the contest has got, this is in the movie, has got to be about connecting with someone, connecting with the world. So, yes, you know, as you were just saying, this is the work of a megalomaniac (laughs) in a lot of ways. You know, this is a person with a God complex who thinks that, you know, the only person who would be worthy of inheriting his fortune and of inheriting... The power to control the Oasis, which in essence is tantamount to controlling the world, is someone who has studied his obsessions and deemed them worthy, right? Someone who has said, yeah, I'm going to be able to recite war games word for word because this guy thinks that's like a useful way to spend time. But it's also Halliday's way of using those obsessions to bring people together in a way that he maybe never felt he could do in his own life, both through his work when he was around to see that work through and in his actual life, his personal life, that he was never able to prize those personal relationships with people in the way that he should. Something always got in between them. And, you know, why do we do this podcast? Why, indeed. There are plenty of people out there (laughs) who would say, wow, you guys did 67 podcasts On Game of Thrones. I sure did. That seems like really weird to me. But for us, it was this incredible gift. It still is every time we do it because I look across the table at you and I see somebody who loves the things that I love. And that's an incredible gift. And so for me, I left the theater and I was able to temporarily cast aside its many flaws and focus on that. That idea that it is okay to put that boom box over your head and to declare your love for something and to ask somebody to stand there with you and try to fight for it. That's meaningful to me. That always will be meaningful to me. Jason. Yeah. What part of your past are you trying to escape?
0: Oh, how long do we have?
1: <laughs> Surely not your many hours in front of the console of your choice to answer that. Hmm please assemble the conclave and head to the planet Doom Citadel to teach us everything we need to know about moments in our real-world video game history that mirror what transpires in Ready Player One. Here's an issue I had with
0: Ready Player One. When they go to the Distracted Globe nightclub, Artie and Parzival go to the Distracted Globe. They have a date of some sort there. Really, they break up. Even though they weren't really dating, whatever. And turns out, IOI invades the club, crashes through the ceiling, and they start shooting everybody. It's a player versus player zone, a PvP zone, as they say in the, in the lingo. I gotta tell you, that's terrible design. If I ever played a video game where, and I have, where <laughs> there's a wide open. PvP zone where people are supposed to congregate and have fun. Guess what? It's not fun. You know why? Because every time you go in there, you get attacked. You wouldn't be able to go to that club without getting shot up every time you'd pull up to it. you pull up to it, and there'd be high-level players there waiting to gank your stuff. Virtual worlds like the Oasis, what we today call massively multiplayer online role-playing games, or MMORPGs, have been around since the mid-'70s when they were called MUDs, multi-user dungeons. But the true wonder of the genre, the true magic, when the real fun stuff started to happen in that space, in all its and glory, wasn't revealed until World of Warcraft made its mark on, on gaming history. Released in 2004 by Blizzard, World of Warcraft is an iconic series with a wide cultural impact. How wide? Stuff has happened in the game, in a video game that people play that have become catchphrases, cultural catchphrases that have penetrated into spaces of culture where people may not play games. Things that happened in that game, in other words, became famous, perhaps infamous. And the most notable of these, with all apologies to Leroy Jenkins, is the funeral raid of 2006. The place, the frostfire hot springs in the far north of Kalimdor, the westernmost continent of Azeroth, the setting for worldcraft. The event, a memorial service for Phaeogenes the avatar of a player who passed away suddenly in real life of a stroke. Now, dual-wielding morality is, as Tony Polumbi notes, in his excellent book about the culture around Warcraft— is a term coined by game philosophist Stacy Goguen to describe how human beings can ascribe to seemingly opposing moral codes depending on whether they are in reality or gaming reality. It's probably the most charitable way to describe one of the most appalling events in gaming history. And it's an appalling event in real life as well. So, how did it start? It started with a message that appeared on the forums for the U.S.-based realm server Illidan. On Tuesday of February 28th, Illidan lost not only a good mage, but a good person. For those who knew Phaeogen, was one of the nicest people you could ever meet. On Tuesday, she suffered from a stroke and passed away later that night. I'm making this post basically to inform everyone that might have knew her sick. Also tomorrow at 5.30 server time, March 4th, we will have an in-game memorial for her so that her friends can pay their respects. We will be having it at the Frostfire Hot Springs in Winter Spring because she loved to fish in the game. She liked the sound of water. It was calming for her and she loved snow. If you would like to come, show your respects, please do. Thanks, everyone. This memorial service was held in a player-versus-player player zone. What happened next? Well, on March 5th, 2006, the online friends of Fagin held their memorial. Mourners queued up to pay their respects to Fagin's avatar, dressed in white, standing serenely at the edge of a lake. Unbeknownst to the attendees, most of who were members of the Horde faction, one of the avatars, a human rogue of the Alliance faction, was in line to pay profound disrespect. Nice day for a memorial reads this strange avatar's text chat. I guess you could say that, responds the player next in line. The rogue slips into stealth mode, meaning kind of goes invisible, sneaks next to Fajan's avatar, pulls out a knife and attacks it. Fajan's playerless avatar drops to zero hit points and quote-unquote dies. Most of the mourners came for a memorial service. They did not come kitted out to do battle, but one, a Toran warrior, draws his weapon, steps forward, and the rogue slips past him and begins laying into one of the stunned mourners. And at that moment, a war party arrives. They had traveled like over the hills, through a cave to the lake's edge, and they came ready to do battle, and they lay waste to this party of mourners here to pay their respects to a person who died in real life. It was over in 30 seconds, and the video of it has been viewed millions of times. That is a thing that happened in the game Warcraft That is infamous and that moment at the globe really reminded me that like it was weird to me that they put it in the movie because like gamers would know not to go to pvp zones like to have fun you don't go to pvp zones to have fun because this stuff happens
1: how horrible
0: it was truly horrible mal yeah she wanted to go dancing so we watched the movie thanks to ready player one (laughs) and it's literally 100 plus pop culture references tons i had movies on the mind so let's head to the sept In Halliday's journal to bathe in the light of the seven by sharing seven of our favorite, not the most crucial to the plot, not the ones that get the most screen time, but our favorite. Yes. Pop culture references in Ready Player One. I will go first. (laughs) Number one, Tracer. Ah, Tracer. One of the original Overwatch offense characters, a flanker, when played correctly, incredibly annoying to face because she's blinking here and blinking there shooting you and then she's gone and then she's back and then she's shooting you in the back again and then she's throwing a bomb on your tank and everything's blowing up. T-Racer. Love Tracer. Love to play Tracer. Not good at her. And I hate anyone who is good at her because it's truly annoying to play against such a person. Tracer.
1: Adam's prediction for this edition of the 7 when I told him what we were doing is that you would pick Tracer. Because he knows you love Overwatch.
0: love Overwatch. Great game.
1: Number 2. The Battlestar Galactica and Serenity. So when Parseval is boasting in H's workshop, we get a little glimpse at a phenomenal rendering of the Battlestar Galactica, the titular ship at the center of one of my all-time favorite shows, Battlestar Galactica. And then in another sequence, we see a viper, mm. also from Battlestar Galactica. Now, it seems that the ships featured in Ready Player One are from the original Battlestar, yes. not the Ron Moore remake. But still, yeah. it's all Battlestar, It is, guys. And then we catch glimpses of Serenity, Mal's spaceship from Firefly. Love Firefly. Firefly is another one of my all-time favorite shows. Now, I want to note, neither show, and in Battlestar's case, neither version of that show aired in the 80s. So in addition to these being little Easter eggs and just things that I really love and that really made me excited, they're also quiet little reminders that while the bulk of the references are these 80s pop culture obsessions from Halliday's mind... 80s pop culture was not the only currency of the realm. Other stories mattered. I think that's worth noting.
0: Number three. This is cheating because it's a book reference, but considering who the movie is directed by, I find this passage from the book kind of amusing. This is Parsifal speaking because it's a first-person book. Quote, I devoured what Halliday referred to as the Holy Trilogies, (laughs) Star Wars, original and prequel trilogies in that order, Lord of the Rings, The Matrix, Mad Max, Back to the Future, and Indiana Jones. Halliday once said he preferred to pretend the other Indiana Jones films from Crystal Skull onward didn't exist. I tend to agree. Directed by Steven
1: Spielberg. Good stuff. Though there are a lot of other lines where Spielberg is actually called out by name as like a god in the book. So good stuff there. Number four, Halliday's Star Trek funeral. The video. Yeah. That announces the hunt to the world is this this mock funeral that Halliday staged in which he rises from not only his coffin, but Spock's coffin to speak. And he is surrounded by, you know, there's a model of the Enterprise and then these floral arrangements of the Star Trek insignia just delightful it's like oh this is Halliday's version of you know those commercials that we see sometimes for the coffins with like your favorite sports team insignia on it that's what this reminded me of number five
0: jurassic park right at the beginning the very first task the race as artemis h and parzival are racing for the first time artemis and parzival are meeting for the first time you get to the almost the end of the race and a tyrannosaurus rex chases your car just like the famous scene in Jurassic Park when Jeff Goldblum is on the back and going, must go faster, go faster. And it's like, knocks into the car with the side of his head, her head perhaps, bites at the car, and it's just great. Probably the most subtle reference in the movie. And it's a dinosaur chasing a car. <laughs> and that's the most
1: subtle. Remind me in Jurassic Park is King Kong waiting on the other end. King Kong is not <laughs> waiting there. Number six, Rosebud, Wade's reference to Citizen Kane feels a little out of place yeah. in the movie, you know, among the the mad balls and the Duran Duran references. But I think that that's actually why it works. And that's yeah. why I liked it. You know, it really does stand out starkly. And it is Again, helpful to have an occasional, like, overt reminder that while Halliday and thus his Oasis disciples obsess over 80s pop culture, that is not, in fact, the only decade in the history of mankind that produced pop culture worth remembering. Like, I just found it oddly, like, reassuring that Wade, like our boy Bobby Axelrod and so many others before him, would have found Orson Welles worth thinking about. I've never seen
0: it projected as it's meant to be number seven the shining ah yes this is probably i think for most people even people that didn't like the movie i think this is the highlight of the film for most people the high five survive a virtual shining simulation i guess you could say it and that's how they move on to the third task and it is really scary like truly terrifying at times and played for laughs in a really fun way towards the end of the film
1: Here's my one knock on that. Tell me. I don't buy that H wouldn't have seen The Shining. That's the thing. Jason? Yeah? I just came here to escape. Yes. But I found something much bigger than myself. I found friends. Wow. I found love. Ooh. Every episode, we're going to honor the person or idea that compelled us the most. And today, we are awarding our champion's purse, paid out in IOI bribes, to one of those loves. Yes. Nostalgia.
0: Nostalgia. Extreme Don Draper voice nostalgia it's a greek word it means the memory of yourself as you're dying i don't i don't remember what he says there when he's <laughs> pitching the carousel but it's that's one of the greatest moments in tv history listen nostalgia can be seen as a cheap trick at times for sure and maybe it is okay people like to see the things they like reflected back at them it makes them feel like their tastes and their interests have value in a in a way and that's why people and their tastes and the things that they like the widest selection of people should be reflected back at them as much as possible
1: one of the most widespread criticisms of the story both the film or excuse me movie spielberg would want us to know it's a movie not yes. a film and the book is just that it's nostalgia overload that it's nostalgia at the expense of substance and First of all, I think it's okay to occasionally just say we love these things let's celebrate them. Yeah. I understand that the concern is that pop culture at large has shifted into maybe only focusing or or at least overly focusing on, you know, rehashing, returning to IP. We're we're simultaneously having this moment, this like crest of 80s nostalgia, you know, Stranger Things, the phenomenal San Junipero episode. We're having a lot of these trips back to this moment in time. And then just more broadly, Star Wars, Transformers. You know, there are a million examples. Pick whichever one you choose. Star Trek reboots, Fantastic Beasts. We're going to have a Lord of the Rings television show because the movies weren't enough. You can pick any example that you want. There are people out there who say, why can't we have more new stories instead of just returning to things from the past, either in a nostalgic sense or in a reboot? I think that that is valid, and I would never tell somebody not to feel that way if that's what they feel. I personally love the things I love and want to spend as much time with those things as I can. I also think that one of the criticisms of Ready Player One is, or seems to be, why would the kids in the story, one, and then why would kids in our real world, 2018, today, going to a theater or going to a bookstore, care? about these 80s references? Why would they care about war games? Why would they care about Ferris Bueller and John Hughes movies? I think it is crucial to remember that in the story, in this world, this is all they have. Wade doesn't have 30 new streaming shows on Netflix to choose from any moment. The world is a disaster. Everything is crumbling. People aren't making things. They're just fleeing. There's not really a culture around him. And so, of course, like it just makes perfect sense to me. I mean, I personally, just personally, have never been like an enthusiast of 80s culture. It was, in fact, in my wedding vows, making fun of Adam about, like, (laughs) can you please put a cap on how much 80s music we listen to? So it's not personally to my taste, but it makes sense to me that a character like Wade would be so drawn to, after a life of loneliness and isolation... Getting to share something with somebody that he would latch on to Halliday's passions and Halliday's obsessions, which just so happened to be 80s pop culture with every ounce of strength in his being. That makes sense to me. And I think it's a worthwhile reminder that nostalgia isn't always a bad thing. There's a reason that the word has taken on the meaning that it has in the culture and that people say when they experience something in their life that is beautiful and fills them with joy that they say it. That made me nostalgic for a time in my life when I was happy. And when I was experiencing that joy in the first place, like it's a good thing. And so it sucks to me that we've gotten to the point where people are so concerned about volume or quantity or like the ratio of current creation that we can't still celebrate returning to something we love and that brings us joy and and celebrating things that made people really happy when they were here before, and that can still make people happy. And also, that's kind of what culture is. Yeah. It's supposed to last if it's good enough to last. It's not supposed to just exist in the span of a moment.
0: You think when Shakespeare wrote Julius Caesar, people were like, freaking Roman Empire again?
1: They were, Can this guy just can, like— can you
0: just do something like normal God. Like, that's happening now that people can
1: relate to? Can you write about one of the Henrys? <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Yes. If you're watching this, if you're listening to this, we're dead. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today. (laughs) What? (laughs) Alarming. Holiday till the end, you know? But we will rise. We will rise from our Star Trek coffins. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today, that you are as excited as we are for Binge Mode Harry Potter and Count of Thrones later this spring, and that you will join us again next week when we will be beginning our two-part, two-week binge of Season 1 of Westworld. We're going to break that up over two episodes of Binge Mode Weekly because Season 1 of Westworld, is there's a lot there. Until then, remember, this is Binge Mode. It's a place where the limits of reality are your own imagination. I'd like to request that you use your George George R.R. Martin voice, please.
0: AA241, colon 87. I would argue that masturbation is the human animal's most important adaption, the very cornerstone of our technological civilization.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> our hands evolved to grip tools, all right, including our own. <laughs> you see, thinkers, inventors, and scientists are usually geeks, and geeks have a harder time getting laid than anyone. Without the built-in sexual release valve provided by masturbation, it's doubtful that early humans would have ever mastered the secrets of fire or discovered the wheel. This guy is a genius in the book. And you can bet that Galileo, Newton, and Einstein never would have made their discoveries if they hadn't first been able to clear their heads by slapping the salami or, quote, knocking a few protons off the old hydrogen atom. The same goes for Marie Curie,
1: Before she discovered radium. Get to the best part.
0: You can be certain she discovered the little man in the canoe. (laughs) Ernest Cline, ladies and gentlemen. One of the greatest authors who has ever strung words together in the English language. Before we go. Yeah. We want to tell you about Ringer Ah! Merch. We have exciting news for all you heads out there. The ringer has new merchandise with a shiny new storefront that you can check out right now. We have
1: hats. Ooh. Hoodies. Yes. And, and. Tell me. Even an exclusive Shea Serrano disrespectful oh. dunk t-shirt. Your friends will be low-key jealous, key. maybe even high-key jealous, when they see you strutting. As one does. Strutting down the street with an official Ringer zip-up
0: hoodie. We are letting you. Our loyal listeners get first
1: dibs on the goods. Go yes. to theringer.com slash shop to pre-order your merch now. These are
0: limited run items and will not last long. Once they are gone, they are gone.
1: Check out the slash shop to pre-order your official Ringer merchandise today. You can also find the
0: links to the Ringer web store in the show notes.